0: it's good to be with you here this morning as i've as we've been studying the book of matthew every week i grow more and more enthralled with its artistry matthew is such a precise writer And the things that he's been teaching us have been so brilliantly inspired by the Spirit in such a way that every week I find myself amazed at what Matthew is doing in this gospel. I want to remind you that the purpose of the book of Matthew, he's writing to us to show us that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Messiah. He's writing to show us that it's this Jesus who would come to deliver his people from their sins and from death. You may have noticed the past few weeks some of the things that we've been talking about in regards to the person of Jesus. I want you to open your Bibles to the end of Matthew 20. I just want your eyes to gaze at the bottom section of of verse 29. If you remember in this story, Jesus heals a blind man. And what Matthew is showing through this story is that Jesus is the Messiah through the fulfillment of prophecy. See, it was the Messiah that would come who would heal the blind. This is a miracle that hadn't been performed in the Old Testament. It was only a sign of the Messiah. If you look at the next section of chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And it's in this portion of scripture that you begin to see Matthew present to us the offices that Jesus upholds. See, in this first section of Matthew, chapter 21, Jesus, Matthew is demonstrating that Jesus is the king. He's the promised king from the line of David and from the line of Abraham. And Matthew demonstrates this again through the fulfillment of prophecies. In the next section, what we saw last week, we see Jesus, Matthew highlighting the office of Jesus' priestlyhood. Last week, we saw how Jesus came to, put, to order the temple of God, preparing it so that he would act and be our sole mediator. Today... We'll see how Matthew demonstrates Jesus' prophetic office. We'll see today how the word was made flesh, speaks clearly to us today through his word. Before we begin, I just want to revert back and just talk a little bit about what the purpose of the prophet was. The prophets of old were called messengers of God. They brought the revealed will of God to his people, and they were tasked with keeping watch over them. They provided different messages of different types to God's people. They provided messages of hope, of salvation. But they also provided messages of repentance and judgment. These are components of Jesus' messages throughout the book of Matthew. We see Jesus bring messages of hope, of salvation. But like we see in Matthew chapter 4, we also see that he brings a message of repentance, he calls people to repentance. And today, we see a little bit of his message of judgment. See, Jesus is the promised, promised prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses writes, and he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is the man that Moses was talking about, Jesus. And I think that it would be wise for us today, church, to humbly heed the words of Jesus this morning. I think it would be wise for us this morning, church, to listen to the words of Christ. Today, We want to learn that genuine faith in the person of Jesus Christ leads to godly fruit and fortifies our life of prayer. Genuine faith in the person of Jesus Christ leads to godly fruits and fortifies our life of prayer. Let's look at our verse for this morning beginning at Verse 18 of chapter 21. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, If you look at verse 18, it says, in the morning as he was returning to the city. To kind of lay out what time of the week this is, verses 18 and 19 occur on Monday morning. According to the gospel of Mark, this sequence occurs before the cleansing of the temple. So on their way, to cleansing the temple on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus sees this fig tree. And verses 18 and 19 take place. And then verses 20 through 22 occurs on Tuesday morning. As Jesus is returning to Jerusalem and the temple has been cleansed already and he's about to go and challenge the chief priest and the elders. This is important context for how we interpret today's passage. Matthew just condenses the timeline into this story for us today. But the message is still the same. This arrangement of the story in the book of Matthew and the preceding story and context helps to serve its purpose. To demonstrate to us what God is instructing today In this section, Matthew highlights Jesus' humanity. Look at verse 18. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. It's these three simple words that highlight Jesus' humanity for us today. Jesus was truly man and he was truly God. This is what Matthew has been teaching us all through the book of of his gospel. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. In the Old Testament, accessibility to God only came through a, a few ways. It came through the prophets. It came through the priests. It came through the tabernacle. It came through the temple. But now, God had taken the form of a servant and was born in human likeness, coming to dwell among man, to make himself known and accessible in a way that was never seen or experienced before. It's this Jesus who has come down And for all of the crowds has been telling them, come to me. Come to me. Matthew has taught us that Jesus is the fulfiller of all righteousness. It's this Jesus who came to fulfill all righteousness, to walk in sinlessness and perfection, and to walk in full obedience of the law. This was so that he could act as our perfect substitute, taking our place upon the cross to satisfy the wrath of God, something that you and I, brothers, could never have done on our own. Matthew has been teaching us that Jesus also is our one and only mediator, It's this truth that Jesus is truly God and truly man that he's able to act as our one and only mediator. Being God in the flesh, Jesus is the only one perfectly qualified to meet our every need. Having identified with us in his humanity, and he's the only one who's able to forgive our sins. That's why this doctrine of his humanity and his deity and the incarnation is so important to us today. Paul says it this way in 1st Timothy 2:15, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. And this person is Jesus Christ. This truth, the simplicity of these three words teaches us the doctrine of Jesus is God in the flesh. And it's vital to us because genuine faith begins with a proper view of who Jesus is. And a proper view of what he came to do and what he came to accomplish. If you think about the past few weeks, we've already seen people not have the proper view of Jesus. They saw him only as a prophet. Some have only seen him as a good teacher. This was insufficient. No, no, no. To come to have genuine faith you must have a clear and biblical view of who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God who was born of a virgin, who came to live a perfect life and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins. This is a Jesus that we're talking about. This is a Jesus that our church proclaims. This is a Jesus Matthew is wanting us to see. But as we continue in our passage, we learn a few more things about faith. Second thing we learn is that genuine faith produces godly fruits. Genuine faith produces godly fruits. Look at verse 19 with me. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. This may seem like an interesting sequence of events. A very interesting story. Jesus gets hungry and he goes to a fig tree looking for fruit. And he finds none, and he follows up by cursing it. And you might think, that's so odd. That's so strange. Why would Jesus do something like this? This is not Jesus being hangry. (laughs) No. This is Jesus in complete control. He's wanting to teach us something. See, what Jesus is doing here is what the prophets of old would do when they provided an object lesson for the people. An object lesson is a lesson that the prophet would use in reference to something to teach a spiritual truth. This is similar to a parable, but different. A parable is where a story was used, a narration was used to teach a spiritual truth. But the difference here is the object is real and present. And so Jesus uses this object of the fig tree. See, in this time in Israel, fig trees were abundant. They were everywhere. There were different types of fig trees. Most of them bloomed in this springtime season. There were a few that bloomed in the fall. But at this point in time, in this section of scripture, it would have been a little early for the fig tree to have to have fruit and to have bloomed. But what what the indicator was for a full-bloomed tree was not the season, it wasn't the months. For the time, it was how it bloomed. And if you look at this tree in verse 19, it says that it had leaves. It was in full bloom. This was the indicator that there should have been some type of fruit on this tree. But what happened? As Jesus approaches the fig tree, there was none which led Jesus to act in the way that he did. See, Jesus is teaching us a spiritual lesson here. Jesus was demonstrating that a person can present themselves as fully alive on the outside, but be completely barren on the inside. This wasn't the first time that Jesus was teaching the theme of fruitfulness or barrenness in the book of Matthew. This is a common lesson that Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches us about the good fruit and the bad fruit. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus teaches us about the good tree and the bad tree. Jesus taught that those in the kingdom and those who were truly his disciples would bear good fruit they would bear godly fruit if you're here today and you're listening is your is your life marked by godly fruit is your life marked by godly fruit i don't want to focus on actions I don't want to focus on what you do or don't do. I just, I want to focus purely on your heart today. Is your character, your actions, your attitudes marked with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? How would your spouse answer this question what about your children that would be a great exercise to do this to do this morning As you leave to ask your spouse, to ask your children, do these characteristics remind you of dad? Do they remind you of mom? Do they remind you of Jesus? Jesus was making a pronounced judgment in this section over the sin of hypocrisy. He was making a pronounced judgment on those who claimed to have fruits but did not. See, many people on the outside looking into our church typically say things like, man, we don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Have you heard that before? But, but I want to make a distinction today for us. I want to talk about what is a hypocrite. See, everybody in this room is definitely a sinner. There is no doubt about that. There is no question about that. But not everyone in here is a hypocrite. See, a hypocrite is someone who claims one thing but does another. If we view ourselves biblically, we are definitely all sinners that have been saved by grace. And we're still capable of making errors and mistakes. Because we're sinners. But the hypocrite is the one who says, I do not do these things. I do not think these things. And does the opposite. Can I give you very quickly three signs of whether or not hypocrisy is creeping in your life? The first one is arrogance. The person who is walking in hypocrisy or moving in the direction of hypocrisy is normally a person who possesses the belief that they know more. They always know more. Why? Because they're not marked with humility. There's a lack of repentance and confession in their lives. Secondly, they're normally very critical They're normally very critical of other people. Why? Because they're always holding others to a standard that they themselves don't hold to. The last one is the most tragic. Normally they're blind. And we'll see that in a couple of weeks. They're completely unaware. Because they rarely come to the scriptures seeking for the spirit to probe their hearts. They're scared to come and ask the spirit to search them, to know them, to show them their innermost parts. It's this type of sin that Jesus is judging in this passage. How do we know that he's judging them? Well, look what he does to the fruit in verse 19. He said to it, may no fruits ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. What was Jesus referencing? Who was he referencing here? If you look at Matthew chapter 21, there are two clear prospects. The first one is the crowd that you find in the first section of chapter 21. The crowd had already demonstrated that their faith was not genuine because they had possessed a faulty view of who Jesus was. And we know what's gonna happen. This crowd crying out, Hosanna, on one day and just a few more days will ask for his death. But the second group were the religious leaders. In verse 14, the chief priests and scribes. These men proclaimed their love and allegiance to God But when they were presented with the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, they rejected him. We're only a few, only a couple of chapters away where Jesus will make this pronouncement of judgment towards them much more explicit. What good is a withered tree? What good is a tree that bears no fruit? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Church, I want you to know that the theme of genuine faith and of hypocrisy, the theme of fruitfulness and barrenness is going to continue to appear in the coming weeks. Reading ahead, you'll see that Jesus is gonna discuss this five or six more times. And it begs us the question to ask why? Why does Jesus increase in his teaching? Why is it more prevalent? Why is it that just a few more days when he approaches the cross, this theme is pronounced? Because Jesus is no longer concealing his identity. He's making it clear that he's the promised Messiah, that he's the Son of God. He's making it clear that he's going to demonstrate his love in a few days by dying on the cross. And he's going to demonstrate his power by rising again on the third day. It's this knowledge of this revelation that presents no more gray area. See, when you, are, when you come to face with the reality of Jesus, you have to make either a decision that you believe or a decision that you reject him. You either believe in Jesus and the gospel, and you do so by faith, or you don't. See, you're either a disciple of Christ, or you're not. You're either in the kingdom, or you're not. See, but this passage, even though it presents to us a message of judgment, It's actually also a measure of his grace and mercy to you here this morning. See, the sin of hypocrisy is not the unpardonable sin. His forgiveness covers the fullness of one's sin. If you're in Christ today and have claimed to be, but you're not... I would urge you to repent and to come to Jesus in genuine faith. If you're a believer here today and you've made claims and you've acted otherwise than what you've said. If you've acted in a way where you've sought the approval of man through your actions. I would ask that you would repent this morning, brother or sister. That you would turn from the sin of hypocrisy and from your pride. Remember that our identity in Christ as believers allows us for, for us to stand approved already by God Himself. In the eyes of God, you have been made approved, you have been accepted. It's not because of what you've done but it's because Jesus stands in our place and mediates before our father genuine faith begins with a proper understanding of Jesus it bears godly fruit in our lives and it also fortifies our prayer look at verse 20 When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This conversation takes place Tuesday morning. As they're walking back to to Jerusalem. The disciples see the miracle and they marvel and respond. Mark's gospel tells us that it's actually Peter who speaks up in this moment. But their response, his response, demonstrates that they didn't grasp the object lesson that Jesus was teaching. But Jesus being the great discipler that he is doesn't miss an opportunity to teach them. He focuses on a lesson on faith and prayer that he's already taught. Again, more themes that are just coming and repeating themselves in the book of Matthew. We see this in Matthew chapter 17. Look at verse 21. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt... In Mark's gospel, Jesus responds this way before he starts. He says, have faith in God. He says, have faith in God. Why does Jesus say this? Because faith is based on our belief and trust in Jesus. And the revelation that Jesus has already given to us in his scripture. Jesus is the son of God. He's the only one, he's the one who came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the one who possesses all authority, all power that's in heaven above and on earth below. It's his power and authority that has created all things, that heals the sick, that forgives all our iniquities and our sins, and that redeems our lives from the pit. Do you know that's why at the end of every prayer we approach the Father in his name? In Jesus' name? We come in the name of Jesus because we come confidently to our God. That he's going to hear our petitions, our supplications, and our intercessions. We come to prayer in faith. Because it's our God who possesses all authority over all things. How would that change your prayer life? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been praying for something for weeks, for months, for years, and you've been getting discouraged. Brother or sister, let me tell you no, no, no. Have faith in your God. He has power, He has authority. Maybe there's something that you have not been bringing before God in prayer. You're thinking, you know what, that might just be too much or that just might be too little. No, 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 no. Come, remember who your God is. It's because we know Jesus that we can come confidently in prayer. But as we come to know more of Jesus, we'll also learn from Jesus. And so our prayers will be shaped in a way in which he's taught us. So we'll submit to his authority and his will. We'll pray things like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll follow his example in our prayers where we'll say, Lord, not my will, but but yours. And yours alone. Our faith fortifies our prayers because our faith is placed in God alone. And the truth of God's faithfulness, His immutability, the fact that He never changes, should lead us to pray all the more. Have you grown weary in your prayer? Have you been praying and waiting? I want to remind you of the psalmist when he says, do not grow downcast, but hope in God. For he alone is our salvation. Maybe you're here today and you have been in a season of doubt. Maybe it's been a a more difficult season for your faith. My dear brother or sister, I want you to hear the words of Jesus this morning when he says, have faith, do not doubt. Have faith in God this morning. He sees you. He hears you. And his plan for you is perfect. And all his ways are done in faithfulness. God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. Come to him. Lay down your doubts before him. And see if you will not find rest. See if you will not find rest as you approach him in sincerity. Church, this morning, Matthew is trying to teach us that faith comes when we have a biblical view of who Jesus is. When we believe the Bible's proclamation of Jesus, the Son of God. He wants to teach us that genuine faith will lead to godly fruit producing in our lives. And he wants to teach us today that genuine faith will fortify our prayers how can we respond this morning have you been listening to the words of matthew recently concerning jesus the son of god have you lear- have you listened to the words of jesus this morning Genuine faith will recognize Jesus for who he is. He's the Messiah. He is truly God and truly man. He is the one who has come to reconcile us and to save us from our sins. If you do not know this Jesus today, my friend, I would say today is the day of salvation. Come. Come and talk. Come by faith in Jesus, and he will save you. At the end of the service, we would invite you to come. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the pastors. We want to introduce you to the person of Jesus Christ today. But genuine faith will also produce godly fruit. So church family, examine your life today. Examine to see if the fruit of the Spirit is growing in your hearts this morning. Or are you deliberately living a double life of hypocrisy today? If that's you this morning, repent and find forgiveness of your sins in the grace and mercy of God.